What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Kiss My Angeles. I'm Sarah B., the Sleepy Bandit, and today I'm joined by East Carolina athlete and alum Will Smith, who currently works alongside the men's football team at the University of San Diego. I'm also joined by Los Angeles Daily News sports writer Evan Barnes, and we're talking college sports. With so much at stake and even more being wagered, I aim to find out if there's something missing when it comes to nurturing young athletes. Let's get right to it. I kind of just wanted to start by um, you guys just telling me a little bit about what you do. Um, Well, we can start with you. Okay. So, um, well, I played college football at, uh, I started out at North Carolina State, my freshman year of college. I'm originally from North Carolina and then I actually transferred to East Carolina. While I was at East Carolina, we won uh, two conference titles. I participated in three bowl games. I'd always kind of wanted to go into coaching, so I was trying to kind of find my niche, but I also had a very strong passion for music, which is how I ended up at Icon Collective and studied uh, music production there. Um, So anyway, I was just kind of trying to find a job, find a career, uh, kind of see what was going on. And I had a friend that had a friend that knew somebody over at USD and I contacted the head coach. That's how I got a position over at University of San Diego with the football program there. That's awesome. How long have you been there? I've been there uh, exactly one year. Nice. Well, congratulations on your one year over there at USD. Um, And then Evan, what about you? Because you kind of, you went to USD, but (laughs) (laughs) what are you doing now professionally? Well, um, I am now a journalist. I work for the Los Angeles Daily News. I cover mainly high school sports, but I've done other sports as well. Overall, I've been in high school sports for 10, this will be my 10th year, really. Um, and mainly just kind of, you know, I've seen some really good kids. Um, I'm kind of laughing right now because I'm waiting to see if some of the kids I, I cover get drafted today in the NBA. Nice. Um, That's so exciting. Which is weird now because now that I've covered so many, now you look at the drafts like, okay, I, I remember him in high school. I remember him or wow. hearing about him. Um, so I've been doing journalism now for 10 years and it's kind of been amazing really to just see how journalism has changed, mm-hmm. but also with just how people have had to really just decide if they're going to do this, what are they going to do? Like being more digital is kind of like the way to be. So Right. So you guys are both kind of in and out of the daily lives of these young athletes. Um, is it mostly uh, men's sports that you, you coach for the boys team, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, uh, on that. And then uh, Evan, are you kind of across the board as far as what you cover? Yeah. Nice. Boys and girls sports. Sweet. So I really feel lucky that I was able to kind of, bring two people on the podcast who really have an understanding of the institution of sports, especially in academics and, you know, really seeing these kids grow up. I mean, especially speaking from somebody who's been at Icon and see people go through the program, like you really see a level of evolution. So how do you guys feel like, you know, the sports dynamic as far as like in school and on teams has changed since you've played like well do you kind of see a difference in how it's structured or the quality of player since you were playing uh yeah it's actually it's a lot different now from a, both a mental and physical standpoint uh i feel like i don't, I don't know if it's just because i'm older <laughs> and that's what a lot of the guys kind of that were older than me that coached me said as well but i felt like 
when I was coming up, we were a little bit more mentally tough and mm-hmm. a little bit physically tough, but that doesn't necessarily mean we were smarter because I kind of came through the era, like when the whole concussion thing was going on, they were just starting like the, I think it was my junior or sophomore year was the first year the NCAA enacted the um, concussion penalty where you get tossed out of a game for targeting. And now that's like one of the most common penalties you see in a game. A guy will get ejected tossed for targeting because they've done so much more research in the last 10 years on um, concussions than they had at the time. So the game's a lot safer now. The athletes are a lot different. I'd say they're a little bit more physical and finesse athletes instead of more like when I was coming up, we were more of a kind of big, bigger and stronger, but not necessarily faster and athletic from right. a physical because the way the players are getting trained these days is different. It's more safe. It's more for health-related reasons. And the game's played a lot different. It's played a lot faster, too, as well, based on, like, the tempo and hurry-up offenses that teams are running. So, like, a lot of the old-school coaches kind of make fun of, like, the new spread <laughs> passing uh, yeah. offenses. They call it, like, basketball on grass instead of, like, uh, running, like, the old power, running gun at three yards in a cloud of dust type offense. So, right, right. Yeah, kind of. That's kind of the main difference I see. Just like in the kind of way that they're training them, do you think that that's being, you know, intentionally fostered in a different way? I mean, aside from like the, and also like, do you think it's because it's the reality that so many of these kids are not really going to have a lifelong career in sports and just statistically? So I think it's a little bit of both. I believe that um, we're just more, educated now on like concussions and life-altering injuries than we were when I played. And I, I only played like literally like five to 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And we're just so much more educated because it's more out in the public now. You know, the concussion movie just came out with Will Smith in it. And we're just more educated and more aware of it. So we're more, you know, we take action before before we have to take a reaction. Right, right. Sense. More on top of things than we were back then. And I think the game's a lot safer now than it ever has been. Mm -hmm. And I think it's improved a lot, but the style of play has had to alter based on like the new protective measures. Right, right. Yeah, naturally, you know, you can't kind of coach in the same way, I'm sure, if the rules are a little bit different or it's, yeah, roughly different. What about you, Evan? I mean, I know you kind of do features on a lot of athletes and stuff like that. And just from kind of a you know, constant observation standpoint, how do you feel like the game has changed? And since you've played as well? Well, one thing for me I've seen is that it seems like kids are a lot more savvy on media and getting attention, especially in the social media area, um, era, excuse me. Um, what you see now is you see kids who are very much aware of what attention they can get from recruiting services or scouts or other people like that. And it's on the one hand, I don't, mind it because I mean you want to be as aware as possible mm-hmm. but on the other what I don't like is how that's sometimes transcending getting better and watching you know your team getting better it sometimes becomes a focus on how many offers do you have versus right. are you getting better on the field are you becoming a better teammate and oftentimes you see um, what we've seen a lot is you see more and more kids transferring to um, other schools because hey they think this is a better job opportunity right, right. and I can understand like I'm not against it I just know this thing that that's becoming more and more common is that kids are looking for kids and parents because I want to make sure parents yeah, are I'm sure parents are a big role in this not these kids but 
people are looking for what's the best opportunity now for my kid to shine. Mm -hmm. And even more. So it's always been there, but even more now. So that's one thing. Um, And I guess, you know, Will, I, I kind of agree with you there is that, you know, it definitely is more of a finesse game with the spread offenses. Um, yeah. In basketball now, kids are all very sleek and they can get to the basket attack instead of just have that power back to right. the basket, mostly because of rule changes, but also just because, hey, people see that that's what gets attention and everyone's gearing toward that. So it's it's been a lot of change and I think um, it has positive and negative consequences, but it is different. So you were talking about how the rules have kind of changed and to accommodate safer play, you know, kind of the sport evolving. Do you guys feel like you're seeing any um, movements on like the mental well-being of the students, of the athletes when they come in to a sport young? I mean, I know with athletics and, you know, college and of course pro athletics, there is, you know, the stereotype of, you know, hyper-masculinity or, you know, violence or that kind of, just because the game is so competitive. Um, do you guys feel like there's enough happening, especially in high school and college that helps kind of balance that where their mental well-being is focused as well. And they're kind of getting the positive out of that discipline rather than, you know, creating this fire of aggression that maybe plays out in not so great ways off the field. Um, well, and, and maybe it's just from the high school level. I think that we're just now seeing more and more kids understand the idea of mental health and mental wellness. Um, it's it's still relatively new. Like, I don't know how much counsel, you know, I know there's counselors in every school, but it just depends on, you know, how many kids reach out or how right. many people are concerned about that. Um, I think that, you you know, and we often joke a lot that this generation posts a lot of stuff on Twitter. They're always like <laughs> super emo. If they're going to be emotional, they'll send it out, you know, so we know what's going on with them. Um, but I think also there has to be a way to how to deal with those emotions, how to process them. And I think um, it's one thing to share those emotions, but it's another to be able to understand and process it. And I'm not sure if um, if every kid is being able to handle that, but I think that at least just understanding it's okay to have those emotions. It's still difficult because especially in football, and Will, you probably can attest to this, you know, it's about basically just do your job, you know, run through a brick wall, whatever like that. And there's still the culture of, you know, well, if you don't do this, there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there's still that balance between, you know, there's the old school, do your job, run through a brick wall versus now you have a lot of new school kids who are very understanding of like their Mm -hmm. mental health, but also maybe need to process it better. So I think there is a, there's some improvement, but I think there can be more done because as we're saying now, a lot of young men need that. Yeah, I would agree. Well, yeah, like I, I agree a lot with what he's saying. And we, um, I'll kind of talk from my experience as a player first. When I was at East Carolina, I was lucky to have two really great coaches and Skip Holtz and Ruffin McNeil who understood, you know, the mental aspect of it and that these kids are just kids. Like they're 18 to right. 23 year old kids and they're going to make mistakes. They're, they're away from home for the first time. A lot of them didn't come from very much, especially in Eastern North Carolina where I'm from. And they're doing things for the first time they've never either had the opportunity to do or they're just trying to make it um, so they will have an opportunity to do something later. So a lot of them are going to, you know, they're going to go through growing pains. They're going to try to find out, find their way in the world. Um, I was lucky at East Carolina. We had two really great, we had like a mentorship program where not only were we mentored as student athletes, but we also went out and mentored other like smaller, younger kids in the community. And I think kind of getting it from two different perspectives mm-hmm. helped a lot of the players there. 
um, and from a mental health standpoint and like kind of achieving your goals standpoint, it made me a very goal-oriented individual. Um, I kind of like when I set a goal, I just go for it like with everything I have. And it's I attest a lot of that to that. Uh, at USD, we actually have a very similar type of program. We do the same type of stuff. Our head coach is more worried about them graduating than he is them playing in the NFL. Right. And he's very, very big on that. We had, we had a quarterback a few years ago that uh, actually was offered a big paying job, I think by either Google or Apple. I can't remember the exact company. Mm-hmm. And he had like a fifth year to return and uh, play football. And our head coach was like, well, you're not going to get an offer that's like got that type of monetary uh, value to it. And I don't think you're going to make it to the NFL. So he's very straight up and honest right. with the kids. Mm-hmm. Kind of where they stand at. So that's, I think that's really important too. Always being honest, kind of don't sugarcoat things. Always be honest with the players. Kind of tell them where they stand. Tell them what they can do to get better. Tell them uh, exactly what they need to do from a academic and athletic standpoint, as well as a personal standpoint. Mm-hmm. Always kind of guide them and mentor them so that they can get where they need to go based on what they want in life. Mm-hmm. I'm so, I'm glad you brought up you know your upbringing in uh, North Carolina and and. I was kind of found it interesting that in the South, there's, you know, obviously like a love for football and sports. There's also like Southern hospitality and Southern manners and stuff like that. Do you feel like kind of the the locker room culture, like specifically in like how these guys talk about women, how they view women, do you think that has changed since you've been in sports or like, how does that kind of, does that conflict with you? Like being from the South and having those kind of that upbringing, but being in a culture that maybe in the locker room or just the, the fraternizing and stuff is maybe a little bit less than, you know, ideal or, you know. Um, the athletes at USD, not necessarily because they're all very, very good kids, all high academic kids because of the type of institution USD is. Uh, so they're very respectful for everybody and everything they do. Like uh, at East Carolina, it was a little bit different because I was in the South and you have a whole lot of different things in the South to worry about, not just like sexual issues, but you have like the racial issues right. and all that time. I mean, in some of the places in the South, they're still fighting the Civil War, which is insane. To <laughs> mm-hmm. It just sadly is that way. Um, so you had like a bunch of different issues like that that I don't see. It's a lot different there than it is here on the West Coast, or at least at USD. Um, from a women's standpoint, when I was in college playing, we only had one incident ever where it involved a female. So we had a group, we were lucky to have a group of really good guys in terms of how we treated women to their face. Um, but of course, guys in the locker room, you're going to hear all kinds of yeah. snipe sparks and comments. I mean, that's just guys being guys. Very true. As far as that goes, there's going to yeah. be a lot of not politically correct stuff. <laughs> but right, right. My, as in, well, you know, all of our personal locker rooms of life, you know? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um. What That's was kind that? of my best answer to, to that, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm kind of happy to, to hear. What about you, Evan, as far as like, you know, talking to these students and, and have you, you know, covered any instances as far as like athletes and misconduct and that kind of thing? Does it feel more or less prominent these days? Well, I've been very fortunate that we haven't had too many, you know, situations involving, um, just put out there, sexual assault or anything. I haven't covered too many and I'm kind of grateful because at least it's just... Bless you. It's a whole different issue in college, obviously. I'm pretty sure we might get to that. But high school, I haven't. Um, and like like Will said, I mean, guys are going to talk. Guys are going to do whatever. But I do see a sense of some of these kids really do get it, or at least they, they get some of it enough where, you know, 
not everything they say on Twitter is basically just, you know, a whole lot of profanity, a whole lot of disparaging comments toward women. You still see some stuff out there. Mm -hmm. And it's even more now because thanks to Twitter and you have like these little um, fake accounts that just post like wild stuff and people are like, oh, that's so funny, whatever. Or, you know, the music right now, which is probably a lot more blatant about that, speaks to that and the kids retweet some lyrics or they'll say some lyrics or whatever. And it's just like, okay, you know. Were we like that? I mean, yeah. but then again, we grew up with, you know, the West Coast. We grew up with Dre, Snoop, Corrupt. We grew up with all that stuff too. And, you know, did that affect how we see women? I don't know. I I think that it didn't, but I think that it also kind of made me realize that um, for some people, it's like, man, I had a lot to learn. Like I had to unlearn a lot of stuff probably. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know about, I don't know about the kids now, but I think that a lot of them are aware. They see what's going on. Some of them are quick to say, well, someone so may be lying. Like you see that extent of it where they assume that if it's a case of sexual assault, they may assume someone's lying. But I think you see a lot of the kids now who are just kind of still trying to figure their way out a little bit, you know, right. still trying to figure out. So thankfully I haven't covered it yet, but I hope that stays that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely feel like younger people in general have like the, uh, maybe like a bigger capacity, of course, like any young mind, you know, to, to be open and kind of change the cultural conversation. And I know, I mean, even when when I was in college, it wasn't like, like I felt like athletes got a little bit of a pass in the classroom, even though they had to keep their grades up. It was like they valued that element of their academic career highly. Like, and I feel like there's a lot of money in, you know, like college sports and that kind of thing. Have you guys ever felt like the institution is not, I mean, and not the coaches, obviously, which I feel like there are a lot of amazing coaches that have changed a lot of young men's lives, but higher than that, that maybe do things that aren't necessarily for the benefit of the athlete, but for the institution as a whole and their, you know, profits are the bottom line. So uh, if you don't mind, I'll take this one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I have a a kind of, a crazy opinion. It may sound like a crazy opinion on that. Um, I, Eddie, it's different. First of all, I want to start out. It's different at every institution like Alabama and the SEC schools make millions upon millions of dollars, right. even compared to like East Carolina and North Carolina state where I went. And there were a lot of things that I would see where different players would get benefits that other players wouldn't because they were producing on the field, for example, or, and it, I mean, it wasn't that bad where I was at, but I would see things that through kids I knew that I played with in high school or went to camps with and stuff where they were getting things at these other schools that were like insane, like a, a car, a mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. So you hear types of things like that um, on the recruiting trail. I've not heard this, but I've heard through the grapevine of players coming out here to different schools. And then they're also looking at schools in the Southeast where football is like a religion and especially college football. And the, they'll say to the coach, something like, well, um, so-and-so has offered me this. So-and-so has offered me this. What can you offer me? And they're like, I can offer you a scholarship. And they're like, okay, we're, we're done here. So it's, it's crazy. Like the amount of, behind the bu- like behind the bush under the table type stuff that right. goes on. I'm not gonna like sugarcoat it. Everybody that's ever watched ESPN knows it's out there, knows it exists, knows mm-hmm. it happens all the time. 
Um, so that's kind of one thing. And then from an institutional standpoint, it, I think it's all up to the administration at that institution. I've been lucky to be at three great institutions where the administration put things first that were supposed to be put first, which is a blessing to me because I've not had to deal with any of the type of crises that you've seen at like the Stanford situation, mm-hmm, right. the Baylor situation, um, the situation down at Florida State with Jameis Winston. Mm-hmm. You know, you've seen all those situations. Luckily, I've been blessed not to have to deal with any of those situations because our administration was like, we're going to do it right, whether we win or lose, whether we lose money. Because when you lose in college football, you lose money. And when it's even in the bowl games, like your payout, like for the national championship game, something like $20 million or more to win the game. And then the loser gets only like 10 or seven or something. Only, only 10. So there's. Yeah, so there, but the, the the difference in like cash that is is huge mm-hmm. for an entire college program. From a standpoint of money making sports, though, this I kind of because of the demand of money making sports and all the things that the money making like what I'm talking about is football, specifically football and basketball because they make the most revenue for um, colleges. All the other sports usually depend on those sports from a financial standpoint, right? And a lot of times that means the players have to do extra things that necessarily the other athletes don't have to do. So I'm kind of like, oh, it's not right or it's not wrong. It's just kind of like there needs to be something done in terms of the players that do their 20 hours a week. And then because that's like what the NCAA requires of a student athlete and then has to go do more. And some of these guys are out like volunteering when they need to be studying, even though they have study hall hours because they're trying to get everything done. And then. At the end of the day, if like they're a walk-on, for example, they might not even have a like warm meal to eat after they've done all that mm-hmm. and then volunteered their time. They're paying for school out of their pocket. So there's like there, I think there needs to be something done in some sort of compensation, especially for walk-on athletes and the athletes that have to go above and beyond because of where they're at and who they are and mm-hmm. kind of what media attention they're getting. Because there's a lot of guys that have to go do things for free that other people would have to make a lot of money on. Um, another example though is, I don't know if y'all heard about the NCAA like video game where like they yes. were, a lot, they were using our likeness mm-hmm. and huh. nobody got paid for it. Like nobody got paid for it. And the NFL guys get tons of money and royalties yeah. for being in a video game. So like we actually, that lawsuit ended up getting won by the players, the NCAA like players won the lawsuit and everybody got a check. But so that, that's kind of like, there needs to be something done from a standpoint of, paying players at schools that make money. And I think it's going in that direction with the power five conferences, but at the same time, then you get in the whole, you get in the whole like thing of title nine issues, mm-hmm. which is kind of what we're talking about today today with like females versus males and right. um, college athletics. It's really big. So then you get like, you kind of go down a rabbit hole, but yet these kids are, are doing more than like the regular athletes are. So it's kind of a big, you kind of get in like, kind of go down the rabbit hole and, you get all these different arguments from both sides and it's kind of like neither side's really right. and Neither side's really wrong either. Yeah. Like, and, and you obviously can't like the assumption is that you want to accommodate everybody and everything is fair, but of exactly. course, like not, exactly. you know, it's not really going to end up that way. I was, you know, and this is from a standpoint of somebody who's not very like knowledgeable about sports and how it's all structured. But like if college was free, would there be, a reason or whatever, if there was a situation where it wasn't like tuition, you know, or heavily tuition based where there would even be a need for 
sports even at the college level to even be associated with an academic institution. There's part of me just from the outside that feels like there seems like there's a conflict there of connecting those two. And the only connection I feel like is both of them can provide really positive things for the lives of these athletes, you know, but the connection kind of presents a little bit of a conflict. The amount of, I feel like the more money that the, the team brings in, the more that the, you know, moral, you know, compass gets a little bit blurry. So, I mean, what do you guys think? Well, and I want to make sure I understood this. So you're saying like, if we- like what, yeah. Why do they have to be together? Like, doesn't there seem to be a conflict of, especially at, you know, the Southern States where it, football is huge and it has such a giant impact where it needs to be tied to an academic institution. Well, then what happens is, is you basically are going to have, if you separated the two, you basically would have, hey, go here and you can just play sports. And right, or like a league, like a private or public league or something okay. like that. Because here's, here's the thing with high school, like what's happening with some high school basketball teams, there was a good article in Sports Illustrated that brought this up. What you're seeing now is that there's high schools that are set up primarily to be like basketball academies, mm-hmm. where there's they, they take classes somewhere, but you're <laughs> at that school to basically play basketball. There's academies that are set up for that. Matter of fact, I just read um, the number one player in the nation, I believe next year, they're attending this prep school where basically there is no, there's no academic curriculum at that school. They take classes at a nearby school Mm -hmm. and that's basically where they get academics, but they're at this school to develop their skills to basically play. They're there to play basketball. Um, the problem I have with that is that those schools aren't always accredited. Mm-hmm, so if you try mm-hmm. to go to college, the big worry is, well, you're not going to a school that's academically accredited, so we don't know if your transcripts are legit. Right, right. And then, you know, with the whole academic eligibility situation, that could be a problem for the, on the prep side. Now, for college, what scares me would be, okay, if you take away, if you divorce academic and sports, it's almost kind of like, well, they're both kind of, like you said, they're both essential. So I don't know if you could... I don't know if you could divorce them as much, but I mean, if you say, okay, you just go to school, go to school, go to go to the sports league and play sports because not everyone who plays sports is going to go pro. Right, so right. You, so you do need to have, okay, you know, some people are going to play because they were really good in high school. Mm-hmm. They want to keep the thing going. They want to keep it going. And there's a lot of former athletes who are doing a lot of great things in like business, yeah, other things besides absolutely. coaching. So it's kind of like, I don't know if we could divorce it, but I do think that... Um, as as well as saying, there's a lot of money at stake in college sports. Right. The big the big conferences. There's so much money at stake that if you were to take that away, a lot of these schools would suffer because that's money that basically goes to funding other things. It's basically. definitely not going to covering anyone's tuition. I know no. that for sure. You know what I mean. And I think like that's where it is. Where it's not necessarily. It's like you divorce the financial aspect of it because it, mm-hmm. it seems like that's the part that's that that leads to you know really pushing these students you know like it taking a while for you know mental health advocacy in these programs you know domestic violence and consent education that kind of thing like I mean I feel like if we really saw these like advancements and really shaping these young minds, um, including things like, you know, I saw the, the 30 for 30 broke, like things like managing money. If you start making a ton of money early in life, you know, especially if you come from a low income family, like you're not going to know what to do with that, you know, and it's going to be a struggle to, to try to figure that out. So I think it seems like if the money is, I don't know. It's a lot of money, but like, is it benefiting the athletes? Is it going to the students of the institution or is it just like 
in pockets, you know, of people who are wagering these students like abilities against another school. And Will, you could probably speak to this, but I know like some of that money probably goes to like funding. Some of the money goes to funding other sports. Some of that money in probably- Yeah, that don't bring in. Right. Yeah. I know. Well, you oh, want to take- sorry, I was, I was going to add something. Um, so for example, Appalachian State, which is in the western part of North Carolina mountains, I'm sure you heard about them when they beat Michigan back in 2007. Right. Of course I did. I heard about prior that. To, prior <laughs> to them beating Michigan, which was like the biggest upset in college football history, Okay. that institution averaged about 8,000 undergraduates per year, about 2,000 professional and doctoral graduate students. After they beat Michigan, so first of all, going to play Michigan, they were guaranteed a million dollars. And I think they got like a bonus if they won the game. And Michigan thought, okay, there's no way this little team from Western North Carolina in the mountains will ever beat Michigan. So we're just going to pay them a million dollars, going to beat the crap out of them. It'll be a win to help us get to a ball game, blah, blah, blah. App State goes and wins the game. They're all over national TV for like two or three weeks. Their team had already won a national championship at the FCS level. What happened at Appalachian State was – they made a ton of money from Michigan. They got all these endorsements from Nike. They made a ton of money from that. All of a sudden, all these kids from all over the country had heard about App State, whether this was both females and males, whether they wanted to play football or not. They're like, let's find out about this school. It looks fun. The kids party. It's a mountain town. It's mm-hmm. an interesting type of place. Kind of like a hidden gem in uh, North Carolina. It's kind of funny because I'm an East Carolina grad and I'm talking <laughs> great about one of our one of our rivals, sort of, kind of, because they used to be in a, a conference that we were in a long, long time ago. Um, so anyway, but anyway, the, the point is, because of football, they have increased now. Their, um, I think their uh, attendance record now for like students is somewhere close to twenty thousand, and it used to wow. be eight thousand, and it incre- it increased in like three years. And they were able to build like a new library on campus, a bunch of new like centers. And it was all for, because like, so my kind of the way I see it is football and basketball and the money-making sports, or at least in App- Appalachian State's case and a lot of other of the bigger schools, that's the marketing tool they use to get students into those schools. They make money from it. It's a marketing tool because it's all over television. The students come in and pay tuition. This is especially speaking for the state-supported schools that uh, get government funding and things like that. It's a little bit different with private schools because of the academic standards and the way the private schools kind of work. Mm-hmm. But from the big state-supported schools like the Appalachian States, the North Carolina States, the East Carolinas, the big SEC schools you see on uh, like Alabama, Florida, Kentucky, Georgia, those schools, they get a lot of money. And it's like the biggest, best marketing program and the biggest, best fundraiser for their institution those big football uh, games and stuff that you see on TV every day. So because they make so much money off of it, it keeps bringing in kids, wanting more and more kids to go there. Um, They they just keep doing it from a money standpoint. So it it is a business. It is a very strictly business type of thing. Uh, To go to your question about if school was free, would they still do it, still do athletes? Like if it was free for everybody and right. an athletic scholarship didn't exist. My opinion is, yes, they would still go out and recruit the same they recruit now. It'd be a little bit different because they wouldn't be given monetary value. Mm-hmm. And I think in that situation, the players would get paid. And this would be for all sports because if school was free for everybody and say it was like tax funded, which is kind of what Bernie Sanders was talking about doing, increasing the income tax to 56 percent. 
Um, if it was to happen like that, I believe that the players would get paid and they would also get taxed on that money. And then, so that's how the recruiting would happen from that standpoint, because the school's still going to want all that extra money they've been making for so long. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. If it comes that public education is tax funded by the federal government, then the school's going to say, okay, how can we still make all this money we've been making? So what they're going to do is they're going to start paying their players, and this will be all athletes. So this might be the answer to your question you were asking. Yeah, her. I like it. You know, <laughs> if it's tax-funded, then you pay all the athletes, whatever, based on what they pay. and then, But then you get into the whole thing, well, what do the football players make? Because they make so much more money for the right. school than track team does mm-hmm. so then you get into that kind of can of worms yeah i mean That's, i think it, it's hard to overturn the fact that football is a more popular sport or something yeah. like that and you know i was reading that you know college football was a much is a much bigger thing in the south and existed mm-hmm. long before you know the nfl yep. and stuff yep. like that oh. so i i like the idea of their the legacy there you know um y- you know going back to the way it's currently structured do you guys feel like there there is enough you know, whether, however that pie is split up, but that there are enough, you know, well-rounded resources for the players, whether it's counseling or, or, you know, assistance in any way, like you were talking about the mentoring program or, and, and if not, or in a, you know, ideal world, like what are some resources that you feel like would be a great addition to really help push the bar and not just, you know, nurture great athletes, but really nurture great people? Um, Go, go ahead. All right. Um, one thing I saw, speaking of the 30 for 30, it was a great one on the Miami Hurricanes program in the 80s and 90s that when they won national championships. And to Will's point, ironically, that kind of helped bring a lot of attention to University of Miami, get a lot of kids there. Um, and one thing I saw from like a deleted scene from there was how the, the football coach at the time basically had like one hour powwows every week mm-hmm. and they would just get together with the, he would get together with the players. They wouldn't talk football. They would just talk strategy. They would talk, not, uh, not talk strategy. They would talk life. Mm-hmm. Like what are some life questions you have? Um, and I'm pretty sure that most of the coaches probably, some coaches probably have that where they were like, Hey, you know, what are you thinking of? You know, what's, what's going on? Like what's going on? And I think just having those kind of like sharing moments where you guys can just talk and just have that free space and mm-hmm. have an adult there to kind of help. I think that's really, that's really good. And I think a lot of high school kids could use that too, just to be like, Hey, you know, what's going on? You know, what are you talking, what's going on? And I know a lot of high school coaches do that too, but I think that would be a great resource as well. Um, and I'm sure it already happens at some schools. Um, but I think just like you said, just having kind of those, those spaces where, you know, kids can just kind of be able to figure out adulthood, like 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 Will said, like you said, budgeting, you know, learning yeah. how to budget. Um, even if they're not gonna go pro, like we don't teach kids how to budget their money. So when they get out of school, whatever job they get, they usually do go broke or do not know how to manage mm-hmm. their money. So those kind of ma- skills, life skills, basically totally a good life skills coordination, life skills program at a school will probably be like the best way just to make sure that when you leave, you don't just have a great degree and a job, you understand how to take care. Because let's be honest, a lot of people I see say, hey, I didn't learn how to manage a checkbook right. until after college. I didn't learn how to deal I with it. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I learned about credit in college, but I didn't know how to deal with it. Right. You, know, you see all these lists of like, I didn't learn this, this, this in college, but that would be a start. Yeah, and yeah, to your point, you know, it's not just the athletes that are missing that kind of piece of the puzzle. But I mean, I definitely feel like, 
I, I missed that in high school, you know, as far as like just one econ class, but the, it, it didn't really fit. It was such a global class that it, it wasn't really about, you know, when you leave this institution, you're going to have to manage this money. Um, what about you, Will? So I was kind of thinking about what he was saying. Uh, I was lucky enough at East Carolina. We we had a personal finance class because I was a business major. Nice. The Very problem, nice. The problem was it was only offered to business majors. Right. It was like, like <laughs> so I was like, why don't my whole thing was, why don't we not only have the whole, all the athletes in here, but every student at school should have to take this yeah. as a general education requirement because I learned a lot in that class, but there's still a lot that I wasn't able to learn in just one college class on stuff like that. And those are the things we make the basis of our life decisions on, mm-hmm. like budgeting, finances, things like that. How are we going to buy a house? How are we going to buy a car? How are we going to buy food to put on our table type thing? Student loans. Uh, student, yeah, student yeah. loans is something I'm dealing with now. So that's one thing I think needs to be covered from a, a total standpoint with everybody. The one thing I would like to see the most from a student athlete standpoint, though, is, you know, we're, we're, we're required or we're only allowed a maximum of 20 hours a week working out with the coaches in season. And it's eight hours out of season. But that, that only counts like direct coach contact. It doesn't count like meetings, stuff mm-hmm. like that. What I would like to see, and I'm not complaining about the time schedule because you need that much time to do what you need to do. That's not what I'm complaining about. But what I would like to see is a situation where the players can get more experience out of college that the actual regular college kids are getting that the student athletes don't get. Like this is a side of the story you don't really hear much of. But like, you know, maybe a kid wants to be in a fraternity or something. Mm-hmm. Go, go experience college even though you're a student athlete. Mm-hmm. Maybe he wants to go to study abroad and – uh, go live somewhere else for a semester, do that. And that's one thing I'm seeing that we do at USD that wasn't done at the other two schools I was at, that we do a really good job of at USD. We let our uh, student athletes go study abroad. We let them join frats if they want to. We try to let them be as much a part of the campus community as possible. I, I didn't know that that wasn't, that's not normally allowed. It's just the time constraint or is it explicitly uh, like you're not allowed to join well, a fraternity? It depends. Some some coaches won't allow it. Mm-hmm. Um, some coaches, there, there's just not enough time in the day, depending mm-hmm. on what you got to right. do. Um, but the way we just balance everything, I think it's one of the, we've got a really great head coach over at USD that's all about the players getting the best out of their education experience. Because we're, we're a non-scholarship FCS program, which means we only get academic money or need-based financial aid for our student-athletes mm-hmm. or we just have to recruit kids that have really rich parents and have a really good bank account. That's just the nature of the beast. Right. Yeah. So it's not, there is no, there are no athletic scholarships to those yeah, programs. It's either, it's either you come from well-off family that has a lot of money and you've got really good grades or you have really good grades and you've got to figure out a way to make it happen. Or you're from a low income family uh, or a minority candidate, for example, and you've got really, really, really good grades, but say you go to like a low-income high school, you're from a low-income area, or you're mm-hmm. a minority candidate like that. So that's one of the um, ways we deal with things. And I think because USD is a smaller institution, and the um, like, we have a one to twenty-two size classroom, like one professor to every twenty-two nice. students, yep. is absolutely incredible at yeah. one of the top universities in the country. That's better than most high schools. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, I benefited from that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So because of the way USD is structured and the way our athletic department is structured and the way everybody kind of works together all the way across campus, we're able to do things there that I wasn't able to do as a student athlete, say, at East Carolina or North Carolina State. 
and a lot of other student athletes aren't able to do. So that's something I've seen just from my experience at USD that I think needs to be more incorporated all across the board for all college athletes because I missed out on a lot of things in college that I would have loved to have done just as a normal, that normal college, everyday college students get to do. Right. Yeah. That And that totally makes sense. It's like they're, I think it must be because of the academic requirements, like incredibly stressful and a lot of pressure to try to keep up both. So there's like a little because bit of release. Another thing I didn't add though. So you have your 20 hours a week that you're with the coaches doing football. And then if you're like GPA is below like a 2.5, or you're a new student, like a transfer or a freshman, you're required eight hours of uh, study hall a week as well. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it's really, you're looking at like 28 hours. That's almost like, that's over a part-time job, like 20 to 39 hours a week or something like that. Right, yeah, and I'm yeah. assuming you're, most of them are. Looking, yeah, you're looking at like a part-time job. And by the time you do everything you need to do and get the grades you need to make to stay eligible, you're not able to go do the other things. I, I like the idea of like the paying the player system, because I'm assuming that also means that they can't, have a part-time job, you know, yeah. especially a student that maybe needs to pay those student loans or support themselves. So, um, you know, you it, guys, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, it's kind of funny. That's how I actually got into DJing. Like when I was in college, mm-hmm. because I had a friend that had a guy that was like, he, he owned his own DJ company. He had been DJing for like 30 years. Uh, he worked at numerous radio stations all across the East coast. And I got into DJing because it was something at night late that I could go do and make decent money at. Right. So that's how I got into it. That's smart. You played your cards well, you know. And it's I I like that I think there is a certain grit to being able to balance that because it's like yeah. for some, oh, you know, yeah. for some people you you have to make some sort of income and, and make it work. So I think that we and that's why I it is kind of this weird dichotomy of you hear a, a lot of, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of things in the news and whatever about athletes and violence or whatever, but they are like these really high performing individuals who are focused and disciplined. And it's like, you know, if you just added this or, or enhance the like mental health factor or whatever that is, whatever the missing piece might be, it's like they're super people, you know? And that almost yeah. has to come kind of start earlier, I right. think, which is where... We have to make sure that we teach kids, and I try to tell this a lot to them, is let them know, hey, that there is more than just football or basketball or whatever. Say say you get hurt, what are you going to do? Or say, what else are you interested in? What You know, you have this GPA. What do you really want to do? And actually, I talked to a kid yesterday who's going to uh, USC on a track scholarship. I was just talking to him just about life. I say, you know, hey, when you get to college, you know, and you know you're bright enough. Your mom is a really good coach. But what I told him was, go to school and gain as much as you can from there. Don't just focus on your great athletic career. Mm-hmm. Try to get involved with meeting people who are going to teach you something about life besides just sports. Right. Um, and I think that's where we have to teach our kids to understand that you know athletics is great. Athletics can get you so much, but you have to understand that you can get so much from it just from life. And just teaching them to be aware of that because a lot of them aren't aware of it. They see it as, okay, I'm playing sports, get Mm -hmm. to college. And it's that assembly line mentality of this is what I need to do to get to college. But we forget sometimes that there's also that component of, you know, what is life outside of sports? Right. And it depends. A lot of the kids go to private schools, especially out here in the Valley where, you know, you meet kids who are got rich parents or Mm -hmm. whose parents are super well connected and, you just think, okay, it's just some rich parent or some rich kid or whatever. But, you know, who knows? Maybe you befriend that person. And of course, they want to be friends with you. So maybe you befriend them. You learn from them some skills, some life values. Um, 
And that can help you out as well too. So I think that's kind of where being young and understanding there's more to life than just sports as a, at a young age helps you. So when you get to college, you can um, really try to go for that. Right. Like nurture both sides. Mm-hmm. How do you guys feel, you know, um, current athletic stars and icons are as role models and how has that, you know, um, position in media changed because, I mean, just like with everything, even in Hollywood, like it felt a lot classier back in the day, but like, how do you feel like that's changed and also affected maybe the perceptions of young athletes and and the whole baller thing, you know, just being a baller and and athletes are kind of like the new rappers and that kind of thing. Like how, how do you feel like that influence affects young minds with, especially with how much media is just all over the place and really in your face? Well, I think you can look back to when we were kids and Charles Barkley did a famous commercial saying, I'm not a role model. And Nike ran with that all over the place. It was a big deal because it's like, wait, I'm not a role model. What does that mean? And I remember as a kid thinking, well, why would you Why would you say that? Like, of course you're a role model. You're seen in public and everything. And when I was younger too, when I was in high school, there was a situation where um, you had um, Ray Lewis, who was a linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens. He was caught up in a situation where he was accused of murder. And I remember writing my personal statement for all the schools. And I said, I use athletes to learn what not to do. Now I'm a very unique, I think I'm unique in that regard. Cause most people would say, you look at athletes to say what to do. But I was looking at these situations. I was like, okay, I don't want to do that. What can I do to avoid those situations? Um, so to look at it now, um, I think with social media, there's a lot of, there's a lot less hero worship because you see these guys as they are. It's Mm -hmm. like, there's no sense of, there's mystery like, like Michael Jordan, for example, there's a lot of mystery about him because we didn't really get into much of his gambling or much of him having a, you know, having um, mistresses on the side or whatever. Like by the time Kobe became popular, we knew all about his, yeah. his situation in Colorado. Like that was everywhere. Right. With LeBron, everything he does is everywhere. So I think social media has kind of stripped away the sense, well, hey, these role models, these athletes are regular people like me. Mm-hmm. You know, we see what they're about. You know, we can see them a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and I think people feel even more entitled because of the fantasy sports angle where it's like, I own a piece of you because you helped me get these fantasy points or whatever. Right, right. That's a diff- whole different like world over there. Right. So I think, <laughs> I, I, right. So, um, so I think for kids, I mean, they see that they they look up to them, and now they can look up to them even more in ways that are just not the superficial. Like they make a lot of money, go to the clubs and all this stuff, but they can see them and say, "Hey, I can be somewhat regular, just like these guys are regular." Like you see athletes tweet the same stuff. They listen to the same music. It's like, Oh, mm-hmm, I can, mm-hmm. we can relate to each other a little bit more. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Well, what do you think? Yeah, I was, I'm I'm hundred percent agreeing with what he said there. It's life now is like, we're all goldfish and we live in a fishbowl. You can see everything <laughs> we do, everything we make, some things you may not want to see. And it's like, it's crazy how, like much more close the world is now, how much smaller the world is now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of funny. Like at, at, at East Carolina, for example, when I was playing there, we, we never got any immediate attention until we beat like West Virginia when they were ranked like number eight, I think it was in the nation. And all of a sudden ESPN was everywhere. And it was like, what, what is this? It's weird. And now just about every one of their games is on national TV. Wow. So it's it's kind of like the the way everything has changed from not just a TV standpoint, social media standpoint. Um, the world has gotten smaller because of the internet. 
Do you remember when they televised that that first game or whatever? Like, how did you feel as a player? Like, was it kind of nervousness or weird, or did you kind of like it? Like, having a little bit of attention. Um, <laughs> well, you're, you'll probably laugh at this. It's kind of one of those things you don't really think about it when you're down there on the field playing. You're just focused on the game. But afterwards, like when you see yourself on TV, you're like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Because, like, growing up, you'd like, I, I never thought I'd ever be on TV, much less national TV. And then you get, you get on national television on ESPN in a bowl game, you're like, whoa, that's crazy. It's, you know, um, the thing I always enjoyed, though, wasn't necessarily the TV part as much as being in front of the 50,000 screaming fans. That's, that's the best part to me. And that's the thing that you don't always get to relate to with everybody. Like just being in front of that many people performing is one of the most amazing things. That's from both a music standpoint and an athletic standpoint. It's just, that's one of the greatest things ever. Yeah. You actually have two very different, but connected, you know, yeah. perspectives when it comes to that. Um, yep. Who did you guys look up to when you were younger and playing sports? <laughs> and, you know, was it, I mean, and mostly like, and was that a real person in your life or was it an athlete that you grew up watching? Like if it was like that your top role or idol at that age? Ooh. I know for me, like two athletes who I really liked were um, Grant Hill. Grant Hill was one of the first that I really liked. Um, Shaquille O'Neal was my favorite player, but someone who I really admired a lot more, a lot, admired a lot was Grant Hill. I don't know if it was just because he was, um, he went to a school that I wanted to go to when I got older. I wanted to go to Duke. Um, but he seemed like he was very smart. He had decent looking shoes, which was important to me at the time. <laughs> um, somewhat. Um, Cause I wasn't, I wasn't a Nike. I didn't like Jordan. So I didn't wear Nikes. Um, his, his parents seemed really cool. Um, he played the piano. He seemed like it was really someone I like, I can kind of identify a little bit with him a little bit. Um, and then another guy who I kind of, who I really admire and actually got to meet him in college was uh, AC green. He used to play for the Lakers. Mm-hmm. He was, he won three championships with them. And uh, Maybe two, I think, two or three, I can't remember. Um, but I admired him because at the time, you know, I was I was raised in a fairly religious household and pretty no, really, really strong religious household. <laughs> I can't say that because it's well, come out to be that. No, religious household. So AC Green was someone who I looked up to because he had his religious values, he had his faith, he was very strong about that, and he was very open in a way where it was very friendly and not trying to like beat you down if you didn't agree. It was like, this is what I believe. And he somehow survived that whole Showtime era with the Lakers, with Magic, Kareem, and all those guys. Didn't have sex. He was a virgin. And it was like, how did this guy survive that? Like, how did you survive not messing around with one person when you're like the biggest show in LA, mm-hmm. which was like, you know, get what you want out here. Um, so I was really, I really looked up to him as, as someone with character, with high moral character. And when I got to meet him in college, I told him like, you really inspired me to kind of like, try to live like that early on because I really wanted to say, Hey, how's this guy doing it? Like I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was alone trying to like live in this household with that. So AC green, uh, Grant Hill, um, didn't have too many football guys who I looked up to. I watched football, but I was definitely more of a basketball guy. Um, it's just guys I looked up to. So, uh, that was my, that's cool. That's nice that you kind of looked up to so much more than just like skill, even though that was there, of course, and they were, you know, killing it, playing the game, but it's nice to, even at a young age, be able to identify like this person's navigating that industry really in a way that I can relate to or that I want to kind of. Now, if you ask me who my favorite players were, then that's a whole different argument. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, idolize, favorite. What about you, Will? So from a player standpoint, who my favorite players were growing up was pretty much the late, anybody on the Lakers team when Shaq and Kobe were together. Yes, sir. I was a huge Lakers fan. I uh, loved Kobe's work ethic, but then the whole thing that happened in Colorado happened. So, mm. 
you know, that's a little questionable. <laughs> but from a like fan standpoint, a work ethic standpoint, definitely uh, him. Uh, from a football standpoint, I was a huge Brett Favre fan. As like, mm. just loved him as a player, fun to watch. Even when he'd lose, it'd be fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Just went out there and went for it every time, which I think is an important lesson to learn. Like, whether you get it or not, sometimes you just got to stick your neck out and go for it. Right. Like he throw. That's why I threw so many interceptions. Yeah. That's why I think the interception record. But I, I just kind of like the style. And then the whole thing happened when he was with the Jets. So that's kind of another <laughs> iffy situation there. But uh, growing up, getting older, actually becoming you know a high school athlete and then a college athlete, the two guys I'd probably look up to, well, actually three guys I'd probably look up to the most now, would be uh, Greg Warren. He's a long snapper for the Steelers. Uh, Russell Wilson, I was – uh, part of his signing class at NC State my freshman year, and then uh, Linville Joseph with the Vikings. Nice. Uh, Sorry, my reason- espresso machine is uh, doing something. And the reason I, I say Greg, his uh, dad was my high school coach. Oh, nice. nice. I was a very small, undersized player, Division One. When? <laughs> when yeah. was that? I, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually very small. I was an offensive lineman. I was way too short to play offensive line because I'm barely six foot. Um, but the, the thing was Greg, like he was at UNC Chapel Hill at the time and he came out, he was working out before he got picked up by the Steelers. He was an undrafted free agent with the Steelers and he would work out with me every afternoon for like two whole off seasons and made me the best snapper I could possibly be. His dad really helped me out, go to college and stuff. And I put his dad in there with his name, like even though Greg's a professional athlete, his dad did a lot for me. So I would definitely put those two guys down. It's probably my number one. Uh, Russell was my teammate at North Carolina State. Uh, I didn't have the greatest year when I was at North Carolina State, and Russell was always there for me when things kind of hit the fan. Another thing about Russell is he's one of the hardest working guys ever you'll ever meet. He's one of the most genuine people you'll ever meet. He's also one of the craziest, smartest guys I've ever met. Like, I think he was like an engineering major. He did. Say, he had like a really tough major at North Carolina State, and he played baseball, and he played football. Wow. And the guys just grinded twenty four seven, and that's why he's so successful, like he is today. He's a really genuine guy. And then uh, Linville Joseph, who was with me at East Carolina. The thing about Linville was he came to East Carolina. He had he had a lot of struggles. He was overweight. Uh, I think his grades might have been not quite where they needed to be. I can't exactly remember his whole story, but um. All I remember is this guy, I think he came in weighing like 400 pounds, wow. which is way too big yeah. <laughs> in football. I can't move. And he would go in there on the Stairmaster every single day, which is like the worst workout machine you can possibly be on. <laughs> like the hardest thing. It's like climbing Mount Everest <laughs> for as long as you can go. And he would just grind on that thing. And he would just like lead all the team in drills, just worked his butt off, never said anything, never spoke back to the coaches. The only time he ever got mad was if he like didn't do what he thought was the best thing he could do on the field. He always worked hard in class. I was lucky enough to have two or three classes with him. He always worked his butt off in the classroom. It's kind of like he learned from his uh, situation, um, made the most of his situation in East Carolina, which is a mid-major team in FBS. And now he's with the Vikings, and he's just totally uh, killing it with them. I'm just in another guy. I have one more guy to that. Go for (laughs) it. CJ Wilson. He uh, won a Super Bowl with the Packers. He came from a family in Eastern North Carolina that I don't, I don't necessarily know their backstory, but I'm not sure they had a whole lot when he was growing up and he has made the most of his situation as well. And just absolutely worked his butt off and done so much, not only for his family, but the community. He grew up in a farming community back in Eastern North Carolina, and he has just done great things for that community. Great things for his family. 
um, made good grades, and they both him and Limble and Greg, they all three have Super Bowl rings. So nice. And Russell does too. So there you go. No, but good company. <laughs> they all worked for it. They didn't have it handed to them. No, that's awesome. So, Some inspiring yeah. people on those teams, and you know, in your in your uh, history as a player. So I have one last question for the both of you. Neither of you have kids, right? No. Okay. No. So, no. If you uh, had a kid, and also if you had a daughter, would you encourage your kids to join sports? Why or why not? Would you have any fears about that? Even considering what you've gained from it, would there be any fears about that? Is it different for you if it was a daughter versus your son? Would you kind of push it in the same way? Um. I would definitely want my kids to like to play kids to play sports. Um, I'm not going to force them to, but it's like, hey, you know, <laughs> definitely, you know, play sports. Want to get them out of the house, which is old school. Like my parents and my <laughs> my uh, some of my family members were like, you're going to play something, get out of the house. Um, <laughs> but I think that I would I wouldn't have a problem. Like I think it's exciting. I think there's still some noble things about teamwork and discipline, and um, just kind of seeing so many things to do with sports. Um, but I would also encourage them the same way my parents did is that your grades are going to come first. Your grades are going to make or break you long after your career is over or your sports career is over. Um, so I would say, yeah, you know, I don't have a problem with it. I think you just have to make sure that I think just understand the process, understand that this is not the end all be all. You learn some skills, but remember there's always life after this. Mm-hmm. Like there's always a life after this. And my parents told me that it's like, you wake up, you're still going to wake up tomorrow. Right. You know, Lord won't let you die in your sleep. You're going to wake up tomorrow. So what is, what are you going to do besides sports? You're going to watch it. Okay. But what else are you going to do? <laughs> and it goes back to, it kind of goes back to what, what, um, what Will said about App- Appalachian State getting a lot of enrollment from, from playing football. Um, I wanted to go to Duke initially because of their basketball team. I love their basketball right, right. team. I wanted to go there. I thought about going there. I wanted to go to UCLA too. Same, similar reasons. Right. But my dad told me, he said, are you going to play basketball? I said, no. <laughs> You're going to a school where you are the best fit. <laughs> and that stuck with me because it made sense. I ended up going to USD where, you know, sports is still great, but it wasn't like going to UCLA, Arizona, right. or SEC school. But we had some great sports memories. We still did. But you're like, okay, you can enjoy that and yeah. still go to a college that better suits what you're looking for. So nice. um, long way to answer the question. Yes, my, I love my kids to play sports and I'd love to see what they do because they'll probably be better than me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> awesome. What about you, Will? So from a sports standpoint, well, I'll just tell you three things I'm big on. Sports, music, uh, and athletic, uh, well, sports, music, and languages. I really hope my kid will play a sport or do one of the other two things, because I think language is kind of, you know, is important because you're able to learn about different cultures, mm-hmm. able to communicate in different cultures. Music kind of brings everything together. And then sports teaches you a lot about life. Like from a team sport standpoint, it shows you how like an organization works together mm-hmm. from a single person sport like tennis or golf or something like that. It teaches you a lot about yourself. And like, so I think those are like the three things I'm the biggest on. I hope I would never force my kid to do anything they didn't want to do or absolutely hated it or anything like that. But 
from a standpoint of not having kids and hopefully one day I will have kids, mm -hmm. I would love for them to participate in athletics, uh, um, music, and then be introduced to a language from an early age because uh, the music thing and the language thing were two things I wasn't really introduced to from an early age and I had to kind of pick it up as I came along and learn it. And that's mm -hmm. something I always wished I'd have had the opportunity to do. Right. Whether I chose to run with it or not, I just wish that opportunity would have been there. And then from a sports standpoint, not just focus on like the sports, like the bigger sports like football, baseball, and basketball, but any sport they're interested in, like right. no matter what it is. Because like any sport can teach you a lot about yourself, whether it be in an organizational setting totally. or a personal. Have Those you... I, have you uh, have you guys seen the short game, the the golf prodigy documentary on Netflix? Uh -uh. It's uh -uh. phenomenal. Um, there's two really excellent documentaries on Netflix that deal with young children and sports and their parents. A lot of positive, a lot of negative. Obviously, um, the short game is one. It's all about these golf prodigies. Phenomenal. Just these. I have never seen a documentary about kids doing something where you really felt like it was the kids going for it. And they're like seven and eight and nine. It's phenomenal. And then Trophy Kids is another one where it's like different parents. I've seen that one. Yeah, that one's a little crazy, but good. And uh, the, I forget her name, um, the one that they compare to Tiger Woods a lot, the golf player. Uh, Jordan Speed. No, the little girl oh. Oh. in Trophy Kids. She's also in The Short Game. So oh. they're, oh, wow. they're in both of those documentaries. Really good. Um, but I really love that. I think that as long as there are people in the organizations that are looking out for the athletes and uh, you know former players who understand what maybe you didn't feel like you got enough of, so you want to give back and you know balance those scales, I think is really amazing. But again... Thank you guys so much. We've gone over an hour there, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, but this has been amazing. And I'm so, so grateful that I know people that are so close to those front lines that can really give an inside perspective because, you know, I know that it's not all bad, even though the media likes to pick those things up. And there are really stand up people who are athletes and who are playing sports and taking really life lessons out of that. So thank you for A, being examples of that and helping like perpetuate that more in our institutions. Absolutely. Thank Appreciate you guys it. so much. Come back anytime. I'm sure we'll do a follow up. All right.